The CNBC app, global market news in one place. Customizable sections and personalized alerts. Stocks tracking, interactive charts and market insights all in your hands. Stay connected, stay informed. Download the CNBC app today. Welcome to Squawk Box. Here are your headlines today. U.S. equities rally on with the S&P posting its longest winning streak since February, despite the massive protests across America causing divides within the White House. More stimulus, the ECB could expand its asset purchase program with the central bank's staff due to release grim growth projections, while Germany unveils a 130 billion euro package to revive Europe's biggest economy. Saudi Arabia and Russia reportedly reaching an agreement to extend oil output cuts for another month. But compliance concerns keeping OPEC from confirming if the producer meeting will still be held today. Clouds gathering the Trump administration plans to block Chinese airlines from flying into the U.S., ramping up tensions with Beijing. But China says it will allow more foreign carriers to enter the country. Controversy in Hong Kong, HSBC and Standard Chartered back China's new security law, while local lawmakers begin voting on a bill that would make it illegal to disrespect the Chinese national anthem. Stock stateside uh, continuing the rally and investors this week showing no fear around the protests we've been witnessing in the United States, simply parking it to one side and still playing this massive stimulus theme of the fact that we've got a divergence between the real U.S. economy and what's playing out on stock markets as investors wave all the money that has been tipped into the system to try and shield the economic fallout, but also the ramifications it's having for corporates, many writing off some of the earnings for this year, given the lack of visibility, but thinking that we will and improvement and profitability down the track as we've seen so much in the way of cutbacks and uh, rational decisions made by many of these corporates given the demand and supply challenge that they face. But the Dow, 2% gains outpacing the other major indices. We're now just 11% off those all-time highs earlier this year. You think about those all-time highs, what a different environment we had. There clearly no pandemic at that stage that was showing any real threat. We also, of course, had the, the market moving forward after the US-China uh, phase one trade deal. So it was a very strong environment. Got to think that conditions now are very, very different and does it warrant being just 11% off those all-time highs? We're even closer to the records when you take a look at the NASDAQ. It's been a very strong leadership uh, for those technology names. And now we're just 1.5% off that all-time peak, 9682 on the index. A couple of big, big moving stocks, though, for the major indices in session yesterday for the likes of uh, the Dow. It was Boeing. That was the stock having the most impact for the S&P 500. It was JP Morgan. You've seen a lot of appetite to some of the U.S. banks recently. And when it came to the NASDAQ, it was Apple, one of the more usual suspects that was picking up a lot of action. I want to take you to dollar crosses. The market just cooling on some of its appetite for the dollar at this stage. And you've seen a track around some of its lowest levels on the dollar index since about March. One of the stronger beneficiaries has effectively been the euro. Where a lot of counting down to the ECB today, whether we will see more stimulus from the European Central Bank. That's uh, left us uh, this much higher level of 112.13 on the board. You can see slightly weaker morning session but we have climbed a long way. In terms of the other crosses, 109 dollar is claiming a little bit versus the safe haven Japanese yen. 7.12 on dollar yuan rates still 
demonstrating some of the tensions in that relationship between the US and China. And the casualty has been that Chinese currency. Sterling, 125.39. Also, again, this week, there's some optimism around the latest negotiations with Europe, and that has bolstered the fortunes of sterling. That said, as you can see, uh, just repositioning uh, on sterling and euro trade in the morning session. Treasuries, I want to show you that the slight pickup we've seen on that yield, 0.74 is what we're witnessing on the 10-year. So the, the fall on the dollar, despite the fact that you've got that slight elevation from the lower levels with a, a 0.6 handle for the 10-year uh, Treasury note. At the two end, we're seeing a widening out to a steepening of the yield curve as we're trading at 0.18 on that uh, particular short end bond. I want to take you to the Asian markets now. In terms of the trade, it's been a little bit patchy across the region. China trades lower, down two tenths of a percent. Not much appetite on Hong Kong stocks as we trade around the flat line. But Australia firm, more than one percent in the green and the Japanese stock market now also stretching higher despite a little bit of fatigue that was just flashing up in that trade earlier in the trading day. The only cause, and I mentioned the ECB, that is a huge focus for these markets today. We saw a very strong rally across the trading session yesterday. And in fact, over the course of this trading week, it's been another stunning one for a lot of the stocks, German stocks in particular, the size of the bounce, more than 7% so far. We've not wrapped up the week and uh, that market responding to what we've seen in the hope of more stimulus from the German government. Also, this countdown to the ECB. If you stretch out to the, the Italian market, that looks a little bit firmer morning trade versus some of these other calls on the core markets. 14 done for the FTSE. And we are watching very closely a reshuffle of the key FTSE 100 index. U.S. futures, this is the early picture ahead of the Wall Street session. We do look like some of that uh, investor appetite will cool after what has been a very strong trading week. Well, let's get to the big ticket item for many European investors. The European Central Bank is expected to ramp up its 750 billion euro emergency bond buying scheme when the governing council meets later today. The ECB may also expand its purchases to include corporate bonds below investment grade. Analysts, meanwhile, will be looking out for any response to the EU's pandemic recovery plan and move towards debt mutualisation, as well as its forecast for growth in the Eurozone. And let's get to Aneta for more. Aneta, we know that the growth projections will be fairly weak given what we've been witnessing. But I want to start with the PEP program, a bit of a pep up for this emergency recovery fund. Yes, we are expecting that the ECB is going to upscale that PEP program, the Pandemic Emergency Purchase Program, by 500 billion euro. Currently, it sits at a volume of 750 billion euro, but they are buying a lot. And at the run rate, they are currently buying. They would run out of firepower by October, and that's most likely not the best signal to the market. So um, given uh, constant commentary from various governing council members, the likes of the French uh, governor, for example, was, is quite influential as well, um, was pointing uh, at the fact that this time it's not the time to wait, but we have to act. So I guess that has driven market expectations to expect something bold as of today. So 500 billion euro is widely expected as an upgrade to the program. But most interestingly also will be commentary surrounding what they are expected to buy. Um, they, as 
you were saying, junk bonds are a potential on the table in terms of corporate junk bonds. They can also buy, they can already buy into, for example, uh, sovereign uh, junk status as they have a grandfathering rule um, as of early April. So, for example, if ratings agencies were to downgrade, for example, Italy into junk territory, they could still buy Italy at full scale. So, I guess that's one thing we are expecting. And then, of course, any commentary uh, on whether they look into other asset classes such as equities, which is still, I think, uh, quite far away. But it could be that they are not um, excluding anything which might be on the table because they want to have full-on flexibility. Of course, the um, Bundesbank issue will be one thing they have to tackle as well during the press conference because there's this looming threat that the Bundesbank might be excluded from buying any bonds given the Karlsruhe constitutional court ruling. It's highly unlikely, but still, it's lingering uh, above the whole issue here when it comes to the full-on flexibility of uh, the ECB. With that, back to you, first of all. Annette, thank you very much. Uh, stay right there. We've got Holger Schmieding joining us, a chief economist at Berenberg. Holger, thank you very much for your time today. I want to get into the, the size of the stimulus you're expecting. You've nominated around 500 billion euros as the additional increase in that uh, pandemic emergency purchase program. And effectively, you say that would bring the net asset purchases this year to about 15.5 percent of the eurozone GDP. That is significant. We're talking about the percentage amount. Yes, it is a very significant amount. By and large, this will cover pretty much the entire net issuance of sovereign bonds in the eurozone to be expected this year. So indeed, the European Central Bank is making it easier for companies to fund themselves, but also for governments to fund themselves. That is a significant contribution from monetary policy to cushion the shock of the pandemic. Holger, can we read anything into uh, the announcement today about what it means by the challenge from the German Constitutional Court? There have been some fears that the ECB may be hamstrung in its asset purchase program, but I don't think the Germans wanted to hold back the response at this point around the pandemic, did they? Well, the German court had said explicitly that its ruling, its verdict, did not apply to the ECB's response to the pandemic, which, of course, could be a reason for the ECB to go ahead today partly to make the point, yes, whatever the legal dispute is, we are not in any way constrained by it. I don't think that the ECB in its formal statement will want to say much about this issue of the German court. After all, the ECB does not answer to the German court or any other German authorities. I expect Lagarde, the ECB president, in the press conference, of course, to be asked about it, where she will probably say that, yes, of course, if there's always an idea to improve communications, maybe it's possible for the ECB and the Bundesbank to explain it all once again more clearly to the German public. But I don't think that she will suggest in any way that the ECB in its policy decisions will uh, adjust to anything the German court has asked for. And hence, it will, she will likely say this is much more an inner German issue than something which the ECP itself is affected by. Holger, very good morning to you. And by the way, thank you and Callum for all the great copy. I've been reading a lot of it as well. But my question is, um, which you said it will allow companies to finance themselves. Just which companies is it that couldn't find themse finance themselves anyway? Which well-financed, blue-chip, good cash flow companies that actually have a good uh, raison d'etre in the 21st century to be around? Which ones couldn't finance themselves anyway at record lows? I, I don't know. 
Actually, that's not just a very good question. That's a significant point. Of course, the ECB, even if it were to go for foreign angels, that is companies that have been downgraded since the start of the pandemic, is not really, really helping those companies very, very much. At least those companies could finance themselves without ECB support at slightly higher rates. What the ECB doing is is two things. First of all, it making, it's making it a bit cheaper for companies to finance themselves, not possible for them. But also the ECB is, of course, hoping that buying at so the good end of the market will percolate through the market so that even companies that are more stricken, junk companies in terms of their rating, will find it easier to get through the pandemic. The pandemic is not the time for the central bankers and for fiscal policy to think about a big churning in the corporate world to worry about um, companies that should not be there, not be being supported too much. This response is about, in a way, limiting the amount of bankruptcies. And by helping at the top end of the market, the ECB is probably contributing a little to that. So, yeah, so, so I, this is where you and I, I don't know if we agree or we differ, but I find it absolutely bonkers. I love the fact that Frau Merkel is coming up with £130 billion uh, pound stimulus to get people spending more money in Germany. I like the idea of a pan-European recovery fund, which is going to spend money creating demand, but creating a situation where companies, which were almost certainly going to go to the wall in the next five to ten years, are now supported and creating zombie loans supported by the ECB. I think we're setting ourselves up for more problems, aren't we? Well, this is probably a temporary response. What I, I would phrase it a bit differently. I think that what we are trying to do at the moment is limit the amount of bankruptcies. There will be significant excess bankruptcies anyway. What we will probably have, of course, is a few years down the road, when it's easier for policymakers to say the labor market is okay again, we will likely have a second wave of bankruptcies then when companies that are now being loaded up with debt or loading themselves up with extra debt will be struggling to meet all their obligations. We'll probably see a divergence over the coming years between those companies who got well through the crisis with little extra debt and those who only survived because of a lot of extra debt and their reckoning, even if it's delayed now a little during the crisis, when we have more unemployment than we really, really should have, even if the reckoning is delayed, it will probably come a few years down the road. Uh, let's look at the interest rate, because the ECB has also said uh, recently that they have not reached the lower bound yet. So how likely do you think that they will even go more into negative territory? I don't think that's very likely. The effects of even more negative deposit rates are highly disputed. It would be sort of a measure difficult for banks. You don't want to weaken the banks further in a situation where you need the banks really, really, really to lend money to the economy. So a cut in the benchmark interest rates is unlikely in my view. Uh, when it comes to more action, uh, apart from expanding the program, what are you expecting, Holger? Do you expect anything special from today's meeting, such as perhaps uh, tweaks to the tiering system or others? Um, with luck, yes, I hope that we will get a tweak to the tiering system. That is, as overall liquidity is increasing, 
and hence as banks have more liquidity to park at the ECB occasionally, it would be good if the ECB were to raise the amount of bank deposits at the ECB that is exempt from the penalty rate. At this stage, it is good to do something that keeps the banking system sufficiently afloat to be the transmission mechanism of monetary policy to the real economy that is to be able to lend, lend and lend, at least to all those who have some reason to get the money. Holger, I want to get into what the market's likely to do with the ECB information today. Is it going to be an element of uh, buying the rumour, sell on the fact? Because we've seen a lot of risk assets move higher than on the stock market. And even if you look at the yield to run Italy, that yield has come right down close to the 1.5% mark. So what sort of action do you expect in response to the ECB? Well, economists are not the best strategists for day-to-day action in markets, but I must say, of course, that we have seen such a significant rise in equities that there is a good chance to expect something of what you said. Let me buy the rumors, tell the fact that so sort of if the ECB does not completely surprise us to the upside, the markets would say, oh, we all expected that. What's new? Nothing really new. So uh, have, let's have possibly a little correction on it. But again, economists don't really dabble very much in short-term strength. See whether we'll have to coin a new phrase for Christine Lagarde, like the Super Mario Daisy, if we do get a strong response. Holger, thank you very much for joining us today. Holger Schmieding, Chief Economist at Berenberg. And just a note, if you want to read more about what's ahead today, Netta has some terrific coverage on CNBC.com. She has penned a piece ahead of the ECB meeting, so be sure to check that out this morning. And also uh, joining us later on today, if you want uh, full coverage, Juliana will be on deck and with Annette for this afternoon's ECB decision time. That coverage begins at 1340 CET. The German government has unveiled a 130 billion euro stimulus package to help drive consumer demand and restart the country's economy after being hit by the pandemic. The measures will include sweeping VAT cuts, cash stipends for families with children and extra funding for municipalities. Some uh, car buyers out there will also receive premiums on electric autos, but not on combustible engine cars. The new package will be financed by additional borrowing. It comes on the back of an earlier 750 billion euro rescue deal agreed in March. Speaking to reporters after talks extended into the night, German Chancellor Angela Merkel said the package was an investment in the country's future, while also insisting it still remained fiscally sound. I when we are I believe that especially if we want to give the next generations a future, then we must invest in the future today. That is what has guided us, and that is right, and it will prevent worse things from happening, and that does not mean that the future will be easy. And I think that has been said today. It is an ambitious program, but not one that gets out of hand and lacks any fiscal solidity. And that is why I'm convinced that we have found the right balance. The Federal Reserve is expanding its municipal lending facility, freeing up access to loans for smaller towns and counties, as well as several key institutions. The U.S. Central Bank said all U.S. states will now be able to designate two cities or counties to issue notes as part of the $500 billion program. Governors will also be able to designate institutions that rely on government activity, such as transit services and airports, to borrow under the scheme. The latest ADP survey shows 2.76 million U.S. private sector jobs were lost in the month of May. But the figure was much lower than a Dow Jones forecast of 8.75 million as a large number of states began easing restrictions during the month. Moody's Analytics chief economist Mark Zandi has declared the COVID-19 recession over, barring a second wave of infections. 
Coming up on the show, defying his boss, the Pentagon chief breaks from President Trump as protests continue throughout the country. We'll explain right after the break. And later on, we're going to get an insight into how one Eastern European country is handling the pandemic when we speak to Latvia's Prime Minister. That exclusive interview coming away at 8.30 CET. If you enjoy Squawk Box Europe, check out The Brave Ones podcast. The series explores the rise of some of the world's most successful entrepreneurs. Through exclusive interviews with family, friends and colleagues, The Brave Ones podcast features stories of determination, resilience and ingenuity. Available on Apple Podcast, Spotify and Google Play. The Brave Ones podcast presented by Credit Suisse. Take you to some live pictures now of Portland, Oregon, where large crowds continue to gather. Police uh, have been speaking to reporters in recent days, talking about the, the uh, strategy of controlling large crowds while smaller scuffles break out, uh, clashes with police officers. So the police chief actually appealing to the protesters to continue to help them march peacefully, but also to help trying to stem some of the, uh, the violence that has swept across the city. It uh, is a city known for fairly large demonstrations when they happen, but uh, all the resources being used at this stage to try and contain some of those skirmishes on the sidelines of what looks to be a largely peaceful demonstration. But this is also what's transpired over the course of other nights. Uh, even right back on Tuesday night, we had about 10,000 people demonstrating peacefully, but then violence broke out on the sidelines. So it is just after 10 o'clock in this city at this stage. And uh, this is a, a beautiful aerial shot you are seeing of what is taking place on the ground as these protests continue in demonstrations over the killing of George Floyd. Well, U.S. Defense Secretary Mark Esper has spoken out against President Trump's plan to use the military to control the ongoing protests. Esper told reporters that he's against invoking the Insurrection Act, a law that would allow President Trump to deploy U.S. troops to quell the unrest triggered by the death of George Floyd. The option to use active duty forces in a law enforcement role should only be used as a matter of last resort and only in the most urgent and dire of situations. We are not in one of those situations now. I do not support invoking the Insurrection Act. Former U.S. Defense Secretary Mattis has also issued a scathing statement on his former boss. You can check that statement out at CNBC.com. Large-scale protests against racial injustice continue in cities across the country. Meanwhile, all four officers linked to the death of George Floyd have now been charged. NBC's Dan Sheneman has the latest. Largely peaceful demonstrations of outrage. They're mad! They're mad! Outrage that began in Minneapolis when George Floyd died in police custody. My father had not been killed like this. We deserve justice. One former officer, Derek Chauvin, who pressed his knee on Floyd's neck, initially charged with third-degree murder. He now faces a stronger charge. I filed an amended complaint that charges, that charges former Minneapolis police officer Derek Chauvin with murder in the second degree for the death of George Floyd. And three other officers at the scene who helped hold Floyd down, also facing charges. Uh, filed a complaint that charges... Uh, Police officer King, Lane, and Tao with aiding and abetting murder in the second degree of felony offense. We got all four! We got all four! The new charges celebrated in Minneapolis, but protesters insist their story is not over. 
this is bigger than George Floyd. I can't name you how many black men have died. I can't name how many people have suffered from police brutality. The loss of one life. Launching a larger movement for justice. Dan Shenneman, NBC News. Amazon has announced that it will reopen two of its warehouses in the Midwest. The facilities in Chicago and Indiana were temporarily closed amid unrest in the area and will be back open by today. Bank of America has announced it will commit $1 billion over four years to combat racial and economic inequality by assisting, quote, people and communities of color that have experienced a greater impact from COVID-19. CEO Brian Moynihan told CNBC that the company hopes to contribute to social progress and help solve underlying economic issues. He added that the business community must redouble its efforts in this regard. The reason for now is you're seeing that uh, two things come together. One is the you know, long-held issues about opportunity and economic mobility and things that have produced that ha- just have to be solved faster in this country. And on the other side, you see a health care crisis that affects those communities in a ad- more adverse way than it's affecting the broader society. And we thought instead of just talking, it's time to put up the money. And we are doubling down on our efforts to help drive success in this area. Protests against racism and police brutality in the wake of George Floyd have also continued to spread worldwide. People in cities across the world, including London, came out in support of protesters in the United States. NBC's Richard Engel filed this report from the British capital. It's now a global movement, with thousands taking to the streets, from Amsterdam to Paris and around 50 cities worldwide since this weekend. In London today, protesters marched to say the UK is also plagued by systemic racism. Protests like this one have sprung up across continents, in rich cities and in poor ones, but with one message, that racism is the other pandemic the world needs to address. I just wanted to say this. To our brothers and sisters in America, we stand with you. It was a live execution. And the police did that because they wanted to tell us, we wear this uniform, this is what we can do to you black people around the world. Anytime. Another night of violent protests. On this Australian news show, America was described as in chaos. America's adversaries are trying to take advantage with Russia, China and Iran all using the demonstrations and the looting to tell their people that America's political system is broken. Richard Engel, NBC News, London. Thank you for listening to Squawk Box Europe Express. For more market moving news, you can head to CNBC.com. Or join us again on the show with Jeff Cutmore, Steve Sedgwick and Karen Cho. Weekdays on CNBC.